Hey, what's going on? It's At The Letters, brought to you by Miller Lite, the original light beer. Today is Tuesday, May the 10th. My name is Arden Zwelling. Ben Nixon-Smith is with me. Our producers, as always, Christian Ryan, Nick Andrade. Ben, Toronto Blue Jays are pitching pretty well, hitting okay. Not so great if you only watch the Toronto Blue Jays, but pretty okay in the context of Major League Baseball and fielding all right probably above average in that regard do you agree with that assessment is that where you see things right now i think that's pretty fair i think that you know pitching has been exceptional and i think probably in a sustainable way uh, when you look at gosman what he's doing just incredible manoa very good you're in a good spot with the pitching to me the offense like i agree it's probably a fair characterization to say that they've been you know okay and especially when you consider league ops is like 675 then you look at the blue jays and all of a sudden you know matt chapman and alejandro kirk and these guys who kind of seem to be struggling well they're kind of league average hitters so that's worth <laughs> noting but compared to where we would have expected them to be i still think it's a disappointment even in the context of you know lower offense dead and ball all those different factors i still think it's a disappointing start offensively for this team it's just such a confounding offensive environment right now in MLB. Lowest at batting average in the history of the game. Home runs are way down. And we don't know enough, right? Like, we don't know if it's going to be like this all season, if things are going to change as the weather warms up and we get into summer, if there's adjustments that need to be made with the humidors, which are maybe overcorrecting right now, if the actual ball itself changes as the season goes on, a lot of inconsistency with the balls that are being used right now. And you could talk to both you know, hitters and pitchers about that. Hitters will tell you about balls they hit with exit velocities and launch angles that would have been easy homers in recent years that aren't now. And pitchers will tell you about how every ball they grip during a game feels different. Like some of them are squishy. Some of them have high seams. Some of them are super tacked up. Some of them feel straight out of a box. All these things going on, plus a like a weird year, weird spring training in general, and just how good pitching is right now. Like the standard for offense in MLB is just lower. So I agree. I think the Blue Jays are underperforming. I think they will be better offensively as the year goes on. But like I just I keep coming back to the context of this wacky MLB season that we're having and the fact that the Blue Jays are honestly just a league average offense. They need to be better if they're going to win. Yeah. They need to be a top 10 offense, but from if you only watch the Toronto Blue Jays, you'd say, "Man, they're scuffling. Man, they're struggling offensively." You put them in the global context of MLB, it's like this is what an MLB offense is on average this year. Yeah. You got to remember, like, if you see a hitter come up to the plate and he's hitting 231, you know, 306, 425 with, you know, a few home runs, that is an above average hitter. We have to recalibrate things mentally. I mean, if that's a, you know, whatever it is, a 730 OPS, that is above average by a fair margin, actually. It's like 675, I think, the average OPS. It's somewhere around there. It's crazy. With very little power, you know, we're we're just not seeing the ball fly the way we have in years past. So... Yeah, we have to recalibrate. Um, we have to give guys like Kirk credit who are, you know, holding their own. Guys like Vlad and Springer who are posting, you know, high eights, low nines OPSs. That's obviously even better. I, I think the ingredients are here, especially with Teoscar Hernandez back. The ingredients are here for the Blue Jays to be a well above average team. I see no reason that they can't. And we finally saw, you know, I know you were there 
in Cleveland covering the games, I was working the desk with Shy and Jamie this weekend. And, and, you know, when you see that lineup come out on Sunday, it's like, oh, this is kind of the, the lineup that Jays have been waiting for at last. And they didn't end up scoring a lot in that game, but at least you have those hitters back. Those, those ingredients are back in place. Yeah, um, we're seeing players with like a 100 point drop off in their OPS from year to year who have a higher weighted runs created plus right. than the previous year, which is like, and I, I'm just, I don't know, man, I feel like I'm still adjusting to it, right? And I'm still acclimatizing to it and to what this game is going to be. Like if we are watching like a, just a different version of baseball, like just, a, I don't want to say it's a different sport, but like just a different brand of the game the thing i always like come back to and it's you hear this i'm talking to hitters it's so hard to hit now for so many reasons like all that stuff i talked about humidors dead balls weird year whatever but like pitching is just so good right now like the imbalance of competitiveness between like pitchers and hitters like it's it's immense and he's going to try to stick around for at least one more pitch the side is retired. How about Jimmy Garcia with three huge outs? It used to be as a hitter, like you couldn't wait to get to a team's bullpen, right? Like, let's get this starter out of here. Let's run up his pitch count. Let's get into that bullpen. It's the complete opposite now. Now you're like, man, if only I could see the starter a third time, which is something that you that yeah. you never do. Now every bullpen has like just this cavalcade of fire-breathing monsters with slicked back hair who all throw high 90s with these insane breaking balls and you add just the ability now like the average MLB fastball being up over 94 miles per hour the advancements in pitch design where now every pitcher now has a breaking ball or an off speed that is like quite literally been designed in a lab to play really well off of their heater and they have juiced its spin rates and its tilts and their arm angle and their slot all these things to make it just an unhittable weapon and then you layer in obviously the advancements in scouting reports and and shifts positioning approaches where you attack guys all this video and data that like breaks down hitters and finds the holes in their swings like i just think that things have just been imbalanced too much where the pitchers just have way too much of of an advantage right now where you you take all that and you layer in a dead in baseball yeah you're, you're not gonna see a lot of offense yeah no for sure and i think you know, usually the first month of the season, you're going to see lower runs anyway. And then, you know, all these other factors are, are also contributing. And so, you know, you end up with an environment where you don't have as many home runs, that's for sure. And so, you know, I do wonder if the Jays are well equipped to handle this, if it does continue, if the ball keeps being dead throughout the season, you know, with guys who do have good contact skills, whether that's, you know, Vlad Jr., who has basically every kind of skill you could ask for offensively, or Santiago Espinal, Alejandro Kirk, even Teoscar, he'll take it the other way. You know, Bo will swing and miss, but he can hit to all fields. They do actually have some hitters on this team that have pretty good contact skills. So if the ball is not leaving the yard, I wonder if this group is equipped to still score uh, because they do have those skills of putting the ball on the bat. But we'll see. It's such a big adjustment and it is such a big shift compared to last year that, you know, it's it's really hard to predict. 
Yeah, and we just don't know enough, right? Like, we don't know how this thing is going to evolve. Like, it could end up being the worst offensive year in MLB history in terms of batting average. It wouldn't be, obviously, in terms of home runs because just more home runs are hit now. But you you would see a serious decline, a drop-off in home run. And, like, in the history of the game, when things like this have happened, there have been dramatic changes that have followed it. Like, after the year of the pitcher, 68, what happened? Like, they lowered the mound they changed the strike zone like i said we'll see we don't know enough like talk to me in september but if this continues throughout the course of the year yeah you're probably gonna see some pretty dramatic changes to the fabric of the game whether it is something to do with the mound whether it is shifting um you know restrictions against that i mean whether it's the baseball itself like this is the sort of thing that happens that requires a very serious correction to the structure of the game after which so i don't know it's something where like a couple weeks ago three weeks ago i was like yeah it's still early whatever we'll see whereas now on may 10th i'm kind of like man it's not stopping and if it continues like this yeah baseball's gonna have to make some pretty serious changes next winter yeah it's a big shift i mean and i think we are at the point where it's been long enough we can say this is a real thing that's happening in baseball in 2022 do you like this version of baseball no. <laughs> no yeah i don't need that yeah. bring back the home runs bring yeah. back the home runs i think like having grown up around the time that you have the mcguire and sosa home run race and ken griffey jr and bonds of course like i just like home runs a lot and i think that you know now that you have the this amazing group of sluggers like this group is capable of hitting home runs like you think about otani or bryce harper or mike trout they're more than capable and i love seeing them hit home runs i love seeing vlad hit home runs i love seeing aaron judge hit home runs i mean it's it's fun to see that happen with this group of players and so i i want to see the ball get a little livelier yeah i think the ideal that everybody wants is more quote-unquote action plays right so like the ball is in play and it's touching grass somewhere infield outfield and athletic players doing athletic things on the base pass right or athletic players making athletic defensive plays but i think that what we've seen actually is without the spider tack in the game there's been less swing and miss without the sticky stuff so there has been a few more balls in play but with a deader baseball that isn't flying the way that it once was and whether that's because of what's inside the ball or that's because of the seams creating more drag or whatever it is what you're just seeing is more fly ball outs you are seeing more ball in play but it's actually more ball in outfielder's glove on the warning track or steps in front of it right and that's not the brand of baseball that i think we all want to see but look for years hitters have been incentivized to hit the ball in the air and hit it hard because what gets paid ops so either like with strikeouts being as accepted as they are in the game today like yeah swing for the fences try to hit it really hard strike the ball you know 95 miles per hour plus launch angle 25 to 35 and just shoot it towards the outfield take your walks as you can get a good ops and you'll get paid so yeah you're not going to see a lot more slap hitting coming back and a lot more ground ball approaches coming back it has to be home runs right because if that's the approach of hitters and if pitchers aren't going to be quite as nasty without the the spider tack as they were it's got to be home runs because that's what what hitters are trying to do for sure and you know this jays lineup as much as you know they have the ability to hit for a high average they also almost every hitter in this lineup can take it out of the yard on a pretty consistent basis we just haven't seen a ton of it this year but 
you know, I, I keep coming back to to Oscar, his return to the lineup. That was obviously a big storyline in the last week. And he hasn't connected for, you know, any huge hits yet, any any home runs or near home runs. But I think that if anyone in this lineup can kind of nudge it forward, uh, you know, he can he can have a little bit of an impact on Vladdy. I don't think it'll be a huge impact, somewhat of an impact on protecting Vladdy and then just his own at bats. And then also taking Bradley Zimmer out because, you know, just that alone is a huge step forward for this Blue Jays offense. Yeah, but isn't somebody else just going to get hurt? Right? Like usually, gonna, that's usually the way it goes. Your your Bradley Zimmers and your Imel Tapias, like you're going to need your depth pieces, right? Because somebody else is going to get hurt, or somebody else is going to need time off or DH days. You're going to end up with other unideal stretches of the schedule where you're playing a lot. Like, yes, Teoscar Hernandez being back will mean fewer everyday plate appearances for guys like Zimmer and Tapia. Sure, that does nudge you ahead. But you still need a Tapia and a Zimmer to be good if you're going to be successful, I think. You need Tapia to be good. Um, Fair. I don't know about Zimmer, man. Like, he just looks overmatched. He he looks so overmatched at the play. Like, the fact that he... And I know he has that one home run. But other than that, his two hits are bunts. And good for him. I mean, they've been really good bunts. Um, he's obviously got some great speed. And I think he has value on this roster as a defensive player. But... I don't know. I think that, you know, when you bring Teoscar back and Zimmer then becomes, okay, he's in the game late in a game when you want to improve your defense. Great. He can help the Toronto Blue Jays in that sense. But, you know, when he's in the lineup for four at-bats, that is, you know, usually a couple of those are strikeouts and a couple of those are weak contact. Nothing, nothing's happening. Like it's been rough. And I know he's better than this, but it's been really rough to watch him hit. It's also a guy with 42 plate appearances on the year, right? So it's like. And how many strikeouts does he have? I don't have the raw number in front of me, but it's a 45% strikeout rate on 42 plate appearances. So it would be close to 20. Yeah. (laughs) Look, it's 42 plate appearances, right? Like it's not, this isn't the guy who's carrying the most volume uh, in terms of hitting for this team, right? In terms of making plate appearances, you know, like it's a classic thing of just like picking out the guy who is struggling the most on the roster and saying, oh, that's the problem. (laughs) You know, there's guys on this team with 100, 120, 130 plate appearances, like, you know, two and a half as many as Bradley Zimmer has, and the team is still performing the way it is offensively, you know? It is not all on Bradley Zimmer. That is for sure. That would be a mischaracterization. I think that, say that's 10 starts worth of games, if he's got 42, that's probably eight more than you really want in the course of, if he's starting 10 games a month, that's too much. And again, maybe, who knows, hitters make adjustments. We'll see what happens from here. But uh, he he looks overmatched so far. And I think that he, I think he does have value um, to this team. Like I think especially when you have 28 roster spots, I think he belongs in the major leagues in that situation. I think in, in September, you want this guy in your roster when rosters expand again. I, I don't know what it looks like going forward because you do want some offense off your bench. And he's not really offering any, even though he does have the elite skill defensively. Right center field, and Zimmer's going to get there. But what a terrific diving catch by Bradley Zimmer out in center. Damn, when that. I guess my point is, I would be looking more at like a Matt Chapman or a Lourdes Gurriel Jr. Yes. as sort of the cogs in this lineup that sort of need to perform better if it's going to realize its potential right like i don't know yes. that i'm like i'm looking at the bradley zimmer the fifth outfielder or whatever he's sixth outfielder wherever he, you you put him on this depth chart like 
to me, like Chapman, Goriel are playing every single day. So like those are the guys, like those, you know, Bo Bichette as well, who obviously has been coming around a little bit, but like those are the dudes who are going to be in the top six of your batting order every day without fail as long as they're healthy. So to me, that's where like more offensive production needs to be coming from. Agreed. I mean, those are definitely the bigger levers to kind of pull on. You know, if you're looking at Tapia too, I mean, he's he's someone who will hit on a regular basis for this team. You know, if not an everyday player, then pretty close, especially because, you know, like you say, there will be injuries. He'll probably play if he's healthy in 140 games in some capacity this year. So he's going to have to turn it around offensively. You know, Chapman, last I checked, was kind of around the league average hitter. So that's more or less probably what we were thinking he would offer. Guriel, you want some more from, but certainly it's the everyday guys that can make the biggest impact. It's that's why, like, I had started this podcast talking about the global context of like MLB like offense because I don't know that I can come on here and hammer the Blue Jays' offense when it's like, yeah, Matt Chapman has a ninety-six weighted runs created plus. So like, Matt Chapman's been league average hitter. Right? Like every you look at like so Vladimir Guerrero Jr. one fifty-four WRC plus George Springer yeah. one fifty Santiago Espinal. 131 my goodness right but then you look at like a chapman 96 and goriel even 89 bichette 81 like none of these guys are craters in the context of what offense has been across baseball it's just they the blue jays have been 2022 mlb product like that's what it's been it's been like pretty good starting pitching really good performances out of the bullpen an offense that looks like it's scuffling if you just look at it in a vacuum, but then you pull back and you're like, yep, this is actually just what a league average offense looks like this year. And, and with someone like Bo, right? Like you can look at what he's done so far. And of course it's been as a total. If you look at the totals on his, on his fan graphs page, on his baseball reference, they're not where they should be. But when you look at him right now and the way he's been hitting the last week or 10 days, He's been really good. He has been where he should be. And so moving forward, I just have full confidence that Boba Shett will be Boba Shett. And so if you're talking about concerns on this offense, he's not necessarily on that list. And that's a reason that I think if you project this entire group forward, they're up there. They're still up there with, you know, Atlanta, you know, Houston, Dodgers, Yankees. I think the Jays have the capability as we look ahead to the next four plus months to definitely be in that group of teams. Yeah, we just don't know enough yet to make any kind of sweeping generalizations or, or, you know, just evaluations of this club. Like, we don't know enough yet. Like, are the Blue Jays going to be the worst team with runners in scoring position ever for the entire season? Right? Right? Like, are they? I don't know. It'd be pretty cool if they were. I'd write about that. (laughs) Wouldn't you write about that? I'd make for some pretty interesting articles, right? What do we do? We write articles. That'd be pretty interesting. I do not see that happening. I do not <laughs> see that happening. I think, and and yeah, you're right. They've been, they've struggled so much with runners in scoring position. There's no way that continues. Things will normalize on that. It's one. just such a weird year, man. I was looking at it on Fangraphs today and I didn't have time to get deeper into it, but on Fangraphs, I could get it to where I could look back to 2002, right? So since 2002, the Blue Jays have the worst batting average with runners in scoring position of any team at 187, right? The worst since 2002. But you know what else you find when you look at that list? The nine worst batting averages with runners in scoring position since 2002 are teams this season. Wow. The nine worst 
the Blue Jays, 187. Orioles, 198. The Royals at 201. Like, yeah, Orioles, Royals, you know, the D-backs are on that list. Not great teams. The Astros are on that list at 217. The Yankees are on that list at 217. Like, it's just, it's such a weird year in terms of batting average. So to look at, like, hitting with runners in scoring position is even weird right now. So you can look at weighted runs created plus, right? Which probably a better metric right. to look at, just considering it takes into the context of offensive environment. The Blue Jays have the third lowest weighted wow. runs created plus with runners in scoring position since 2002. This year's Red Sox have the lowest. This year's Royals have the 12th lowest. This year's Pirates have the 22nd lowest. Like it's just such a like bonkers season. The things wow. that we're seeing, right? Like so some of these offensive performances are just historically bad. And I just don't yeah. know that any of this is going to continue. If it does, like we're going to talk about the 2022 season as like a watershed turning point moment in this game, like in this sport of like the year baseball broke offensively. Yeah. If some of this stuff continues and I don't like it, like I said, it's May 10th. We don't know yet. We haven't even played 20% of the season, right? So we may look back on this in August and like laugh just like, wow, that was kind of a weird, you know, first five, six weeks of the season. Or this may be what this season is and like baseball has to sit down in November and December and be like, oh, we need to change this sport because it's broken. Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't be the first time that they've made changes in season either. So, I mean, they might be having those conversations right now. Um, They're not typically all that transparent when it comes to this stuff. So we might not know about it, even if they were. But you're right. I mean, it's just it's a massively different environment. And of course, you know, ultimately the goal, whether it's a, a juiced ball environment or whether it's this kind of dead ball environment, the goal is still the same, just outscore the opposition. So however you get there, that's the job. And I think the Jays have the pieces both on the pitching side and offensively to be able to do that on a very consistent basis. And, uh, you know, we, we've seen that the record as we record this right now, 17 and 13, that's a good pace, especially when you consider the caliber of the competition they face. So if you zoom out a little bit, they're in a good spot, certainly with room to improve offensively, certainly with, with room to improve based on the results of the last two series, but they are still in a good spot. So let me tell you why I think a lot of this stuff is going to normalize. So the Blue Jays just came out of Cleveland where the Guardians have been like incredible with runners in scoring position. So again, since 2002, this year's Cleveland Guardians have the highest weighted runs created plus with runners in scoring position of any team since 2002 at 164. The second highest team is this year's LA Angels. The fourth highest team is this year's Milwaukee Brewers, and the sixth highest team is this year's Seattle Mariners. So we're in an environment right now where we're seeing like four of the worst offensive teams with runners in scoring position over the last 20 years and four of the best. That can't continue. I just don't understand how it possibly could. Like these numbers just haven't normalized yet. So I, I really do believe that the Blue Jays are going to get to a point in july in august could be earlier man could be late may could be june whatever where we're gonna start seeing those like seven eight nine run 
outbursts again. Like we're going to see this lineup clicking. We're going to see Vladimir Guerrero Jr. being one of the best hitters on the planet. Like we're going to see Boba Shett have these four, three hit days. We're going to see Matt Chapman go deep three times in a game. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is going to go on one of his like 30 for 65 runs where he's just like put everything he puts in play is dropping. Teoscar Hernandez is going to have a heater. Like, it's going to happen. That's what I believe right now, just based off of some of the like absurdity that we're seeing on both ends of the offensive spectrum this year. It just has to be weird early season noisiness, small sample stuff. If we don't, then it's a very different conversation. But I really do think like the Blue Jays offense like that we have seen to this point is not what it's going to be this year. Agreed. Yeah, whatever run environment they're in, you know, whether they're playing with a wiffle ball or a softball or a baseball, I just think these guys are really good hitters. And so they are going to be better than the other really good hitters on major league teams. You know, they're, they are going to outperform your Tigers and outperform your Orioles and your Mariners and be up there at the top at the end. Certainly hasn't gotten there to quite that point so far this year. Yeah, you better outperform those Orioles. Otherwise, yeah, we're gonna it's gonna be a very different conversation around the Toronto Blue Jays if they aren't outperforming the Orioles. Uh, let's step away, but when we get back, we uh, have so much more to talk about when it comes to the Toronto Blue Jays when it continues on at the letters. It continues on at the letters Arden Swelling and Ben Nicholson Smith and our producers Nick Andrade and Kristen Ryan and uh, time now for Keeping It Light brought to you by Miller Light, the original light beer. Ben, let's take a look at the American League East standings. We sit here on the morning of Tuesday, May the 10th. New York Yankees are in first place at 20 and 8. Tampa Bay Rays in second, 18 and 12. Toronto Blue Jays in third, 17 and 13. The Baltimore Orioles are in fourth, 12 and seven, two games ahead of the basement dwelling Boston Red Sox at 10 and 19. Ben, the question this week on keeping it light are the Red Sox screwed? Yes, I would say they're in trouble. I would say <laughs> that this is not fatal, but this is not good if you're a Boston Red Sox fan. I mean, this division is too tough, there are too many good teams at the top of it. They are not going to have breathers. I mean, it's not like you're, you know, if, if the Brewers had gotten off to a bad start, well, they get to face the Pirates and the Reds for, you know, half their games at extended stretches. If you're the Red Sox, you still have to face the Blue Jays and the Rays and the Yankees and to start the season with twice as many losses as wins with Chris Sale kind of in limbo, Trevor Story not producing, they are in trouble. And I think to begin with, they were viewed as more of a good team than a great team. They are going to have to play like a great team from here on to overcome this this slow start. So, you know, I don't know where you land here, Arden, but to me, they are in real trouble. So Fangraph's playoff odds puts them at about 20% chance of making the postseason from this point. And I, I agree with that. I think that four times out of five, they aren't going to reach the postseason. Right. But I do think there is that still one out of five chance that things could go right. And look, like there's obviously a lot of talent 
on this roster, right? Like Devers, Bogarts, Martinez, Verdugo. Um, is Trevor Story going to continue being this bad? Like, I just don't really believe it. Like, I feel like he has to come around at a certain point. And then you, you look at, obviously, names like Evaldi and, and Whitlock in their rotation. you got to assume at some point they get Chris Sale back. I know he's going to be a little bit delayed, but I can't forget how good Chris Sale is and then yeah their bullpen has been really really brutal to this point but bullpens are so volatile so i do think they're like i do see that avenue where they get hot and they go on a run and sneak into an expanded postseason field but yeah i think 80 percent of the time that does not happen and it's yeah like you said it's the strength of schedule it's the division that they're in they're going to be playing really good teams the rest of the way so they're going to have to make that run against a, a really high quality of opposition I mean, think about it. Even to get to 500, they would have to go 20 and 10, essentially, in the next month. And then you have to make up ground. Then you're at 500. Then you have to start winning more games. So it's tough. It's tough to do. The Red Sox, I mean, year to year, like what a streaky team. You know, they have so much success some years winning the World Series. And then it's like they've had more fifth place finishes than the Jays, I would guess, in the last (laughs) 10, 15 years. And also more World Series titles, which, of course, is what it's all about. Would you say that Xander Bogarts more likely finishes the season in a Red Sox uniform or more likely would you take the field in terms of the uniform he finishes the season in? I would definitely take Red Sox. I'm always in favor of chaos and I'm always in favor of baseball trades. So I would be very intrigued to see him traded at the deadline. But I think he stays. I think he stays in Boston. What happens once he reaches free agency? I don't know. But I would guess that he's in Boston. What about you? I mean, it's Heim Bloom, man. He's the Rays' way would be to make that trade. If you're not in it, come the trade deadline, like, don't you have to quote unquote maximize the asset? Well, he he is someone who traded Longoria, so it wouldn't be the first time. You know, I think that there are probably lesser players um, that the Red Sox could trade. Whether it's you know, do you listen on Ovaldi? Do you listen on? Uh, JD Martinez potentially. If they're below 500 at the deadline, I think they'll sell. But Xander Bogarts, man, I mean, this guy is—he's just one of the best players in baseball. And I think that the price would be so high, even for a couple months. I don't know. My my instinct says no. But then he walks in free agency, and the compensation that's coming back isn't quite what it was once was now in in the new CBA. So isn't that kind of you know isn't that bad front officing? to then let that happen it could be i mean yeah there's a case to be made for trading a xander bogarts but i think we're a long way from that right now <laughs> and i think that uh i think more likely they kind of get back to that 500 mark he's a contributor he's i mean he's such a good player he's probably a main reason that they do get back to they'll be better than they've been of course so far i think that he helps drive that success and then ends up staying in a red sox uniform It's kind of more interesting talking about the other teams in the AL East and the Blue Jays right now, man, if I'm being honest with you. Because like we just said, yeah, the Red Sox are so interesting for so many reasons. The Yankees are on this great run. And, you know, they've got like you're going to see Luis Severino on Tuesday night here. Is he once? I think he's pitching tonight on Tuesday. And like he is just so, so, so good. And, you know, the guys coming out of their bullpen and Nestor Cortez. And I mean, just like the performances they're getting on the pitching side are just so fun to watch. Like they have so many good arms. You look at the Rays just being the 
Rays again, right? Six games above 500, like having another good season as they do. So like with the Blue Jays, what interests you the most over the rest of the month of May? Like what do you have your eye on? Like we kind of spent the first half talking about the offense, putting it into the context of MLB. Like to me, that's it. It's just will the Blue Jays sort of overperform what they have to this point? Will they play closer to their potential offensively? But I'm curious what your answer would be to what you what's most interesting to you with the Blue Jays over the next few weeks. It would be the same answer for me. I think basically it's how can they start hitting? Who is going to drive this offense forward? Can it be Vlad Jr.? Can it be Bo? Someone needs to do it. They're a team driven by their offense. This is a slugging team. They need to slug. They're not doing it. Someone needs to step up. So who is that going to be? That's the question for me. And I think, you know, you you start, you know, almost on a very granular level. You mentioned Severino. And I think Vlad Jr., the first time that he faced Severino this year, that was his four strikeout game. And afterwards, there was talk that Vladdy was just not seeing the ball well from Severino. So on a very granular level, I'm very interested to see how does that matchup go the second time around? Can Vladdy pick up the ball? Can he make some good contact? I mean, those are the types of things that I that I find interesting night to night, especially in a in a big matchup like the Yankees, where every game really does matter. But big picture, you know, if we kind of cast ahead a few weeks at a time or a month at a time, it really is the offense that has to step up because the pitching's been more than good enough. You can only pick one, Ben. You can take Team A, Team B. Team A, the top three in the rotation is Kevin Gosman, Alec Manoa, and Jose Barrios. Team B, the top three in the rotation, is Garrett Cole, Luis Severino, Nestor Cortez. Which team do you want? Man, I think the Jays have the better top three. I think Cole is the best of the bunch. It's tough, Cole isn't it? Is, it is tough. It's it tough. Is tough. Cortez looks so good. Well, and I think present day, like if you're talking about the two aces, right? Because Gosman's clearly the Jays' number one. If you're talking about the two aces, honestly, what I've seen so far, Gosman is better. Like Gosman is nasty. Oh, yeah. This year? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Gosman's like, I don't know, man. Gosman to me is like, I've seen a bunch of Otani. I've seen a bunch of Verlander this year. Those guys are great. And I think they might be ahead of Gosman for, for what I've seen from them. But so far this year, I mean, Cole's obviously up to 99. He's obviously got great stuff, great command. He's an incredible pitcher. But Gosman has been just outrageously good. I think to me, like just on this year alone, Kevin Gosman is, I mean, he's as, as good as it gets. Runner at second, the 3-2. Swing and a miss. Miller down on strikes. A pair of punch outs for Kevin Gosman. Now, if you're projecting forward, you probably have to take into account Cole's exceptional track record. And he's probably, you know, projected to be the best pitcher in the American League from this point on. So fair enough. But then you get to Manoa. I think Manoa is the third best of that group out of those six that you mentioned, you know, including Cortez, including Severino. Severino. Oh, yeah. I think, I mean, wouldn't you rather have Manoa than any of the Yankee starters not named Garrett Cole? Severino's really good, man. I'd take Manoa. I'd have to think about it. Manoa's really good, too. It's a hard yeah. question, right? Like, what a like it is. those <laughs> top threes. I mean, would you could you imagine a playoff series between these oh, two clubs? Right, it'd be incredible. Game one it'd is Gosman Cole. Game two is Manoa Severino. Game three is yep. Barrios Cortez. Like, incredible. Of those three, like, it's you don't want to worry too much. You don't want to overreact. I know Jose Barrios is 
has his velocity. I know his his command numbers have been reasonably good, but I don't know. You just look at the swinging strike hard. rate. He's getting hit hard. He is not inducing as many swings and misses. He is not getting as many strikeouts. You look at his strikeout rate, it is falling. That is not what you want to see. So this isn't a case where it's like, oh, you know, whatever. He's gotten, he's mislocation, left a few fastballs middle, middle, paid for them with home runs, and, you know, it's all going to regress to the norm. I don't know. If you're not striking guys out, that is something that is very predictive in small samples. You don't need three months of data to see where someone's strikeout rate is trending. I don't know. There's a little concern with Jose Barrios for me. No, and the concern is, well, uh, the stuff is the same is the thing, right? Yep. Like the velos there, the action is there. I mean, yep. I think he's probably just not locating as well as he would like to. And so to me, that lowers the concern because I think right. that he can just make a little tweak, a little adjustment and get back to putting his stuff where he needs to. Maybe it's a sequencing thing. Maybe maybe he's tipping a little bit, right? Like maybe they pick something up on him like – when the stuff is the same as the stuff that has produced really good results over time, and now that stuff is getting hit really hard and isn't getting the swing and miss or the chase that it once was, it's like, well, it's clearly not the velo or the action or the way the ball's coming out of your hand. It's got to be something else. So it's either there's a tell and they've picked something up on you or you're just leaving it over the heart of the plate a little too much. And those two things are very adjustable. So I think that, that lowers the concern with Jose Barrios for me for sure. But if you, yeah, if you just look at the swinging strike stuff and the quality of contact stuff, it's like, oh my goodness, <laughs> yeah. there's something is going on here. Yeah. I don't think it's a huge concern. I think that you kind of look at this and you let good players sort themselves out, right? It's like Bo Bichette. He was struggling for the first few weeks of the season. He's a really good player. He sorted himself out. Jose Barrios. He doesn't have a lack of velocity. He still has the movement. Okay, he will probably sort himself out. But, you know, we're a month into the season now, and it's not looking good. So I think it's fair also to have a little bit of concern there. Not a ton, just a little bit. So then that probably puts you towards the Yankees side of that of that equation, right? Because do you have the same concerns about Anesta Cortez as the number three no. in that scenario? Yeah. I love pitchers like Cortez and Luis Garcia who are just, you know, so crafty. Um, you know, Cueto, obviously Stroman had some of that. It's so much fun to to watch. Um, Framber Valdez a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah, that's another good one. So I think one and two, though, Gosman compares with Cole to me. He really does. And yeah. like I said, Manoa to me is better than either Severino or Cortez. So I still think I lean Jays. Um, especially when you look at Brios and the likely bounce back that's coming, but it is it is close and it's a it's a good discussion for the Blue Jays. The the big question marks obviously are Yusei Kikuchi and Hunjin Ryu, and so with Yusei Kikuchi, it's can he be the guy that he has sort of slowly evolved into in his most recent outing where it's, look, all right, I'm committed to my fastball. I'm going to throw that more often. My slider is no longer really a slider it's kind of a slider cutter thing now or it's a harder slider whatever you want to call it it doesn't even move that much like a slider it kind of moves down but the blue jays have like firmed up that pitch that breaking weapon we'll call it where it's now like 86 to 89 area um and it's a lot sharper and they've really taken away his cutter which obviously got hit 
really hard over his time um, with the Seattle Mariners and <laughs> early this year as well. So now he's more so just like fastball slider. And then if he has a split change working, great. If he's got feel for it, perfect, because that pitch has always produced great results. You're not always going to have feel for it because it's a feel pitch. So that's if you say Kikuchi can be that guy and be more efficient with his with his fastball and with his strikes. Okay, you feel pretty good. If he falls back into the slower slider guy and you know shaking off the fastball, going back to the cutter and not locating, and he's three zero, he's three one all the time. Yeah, that's a pretty big concern. And then with Hunjin Ryu, it's just what are you going to get when he comes back? Is he going to be the Hunjin Ryu's ninety ninety one getting the cutter in and and locating and the velo is there and obviously the changeup command is there and is is has good action out of his hand or is he going to be the Hunjin Ryu who is like a seven eighty eight velo's not there, cutter's bleeding over the plate, changeup is staying up because those type of things are going to get hit. Neither of us know which way that's going to go, but I would say like those are the big question marks for the Blue Jays starting pitching-wise going forward. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. Uh, in his rehab start, this is on Saturday, Ryu was up to 91, I'm told, so that's a good sign as far as his progression there. It, it's tricky, right? Like I think in some ways, you almost have more confidence in Ross Stripling than in Ryu as you, as you look ahead for the next week, the next couple weeks, but... It's a long season, so you need to see what you have in Ryu. And Stripling is so versatile, he can go to that bullpen, piggyback off of Ryu if you need it. So I think it makes sense to do it the way the Jays are doing it. But it's hard to have full confidence in Ryu. And as for Kikuchi, man, I mean, he did look better against the Yankees in his most recent start. But what a tough schedule he's had. And, you know, that's the job. That's the that's the job in this, in this division, on this team. But he has only faced the Red Sox, Astros, and Yankees. Only those teams. And we're, you know, this will be May 10th. And he still has not faced any Oakland, any Texas, any Baltimore. None of those teams. So it's it's been a challenge. And these hitters, I mean, the Yankees are a great offensive team. They have great hitters in that lineup. And they are getting more and more familiar with him. So that challenge only becomes more pronounced for Kikuchi and I'm very interested to see how he can do against the Yankees. Yeah, for what it's worth, Blue Jays have had one of the hardest schedules in baseball to this point. That's not only like the volume of games that they've played with that like 30 and 31 days that everybody's sick of hearing about at this point, but also the quality of opposition. Like you said, they've look, they're about to play the Yankees again. Another series of the Yankees starting tonight. There's third series against the Yankees already. They haven't even touched the Orioles yet. You know, they haven't really touched a bad team. Yet. I, I don't know. I guess the Red Sox are a bad team, <laughs> but uh, they haven't, you know, they haven't really seen bad teams yet. Right. It's not getting any easier here. Right. We got two against the Yankees this week, three against the Rays on the weekend. Then Seattle's in town. Seattle's a fine team. Like they're perfectly good. Then you finally get like a little three game break against the Cincinnati Reds, who are abominable and the worst team yep. in baseball. But then straight back into St. Louis and the Angels have been really good and the White Sox and the Twins like it does not soften up until into June, July, really like so the from a volume standpoint, the Blue Jays have more off days this year. And like I can tell you, having been in Cleveland, like guys were ready for an off day like it was like a grind getting through that 30 and 31 stretch with all the travel and with 
how much more of a pain the ass travel is for the Blue Jays now that they have to drive to Buffalo and then well, fly they don't out, have to, which is but well, they, okay, yeah, that's right. They don't have to that they choose to. You're right, but you know, I think that in Cleveland, like you saw it on the field with especially in the second half of that doubleheader, like the energy just was not there, and I think just around the team, like it's just some rest is required at this point. So volume wise, yes, things are going to lighten up, but quality of opposition wise, not at all. Good teams yeah. through through the end of May. They got a bunch of Baltimore coming up, and they have to destroy the Orioles when the time comes. That's so backloaded, though. So much yes. of it is August and September. And they finish it's against crazy. Baltimore, too. You know, you yeah. almost, I was debating this with Shy over the weekend, but like you almost want to have some of those games earlier in a sense, because then, you know, fine, you finish the season, but you don't want to be in a position where you absolutely have to win to make the playoffs or to secure a bye. They might be in that position. So a long way off, of course. But, you know, I want to ask you, because you kind of mentioned there the energy around the team, like, were they taking as much BP? Like, how would that manifest when you're talking about like guys who are who are kind of showing those signs of fatigue? They did not take BP at all in Cleveland. Really? On the field. Not that I can remember. I might be forgetting. But no, because like the first. So when they got in on the Thursday, was it? They got in super late because of the choice that I mentioned that they make to go out of Buffalo. And they got held up in Buffalo because I guess the Leafs and Lightning were also doing the same A lot of teams are doing this. So there was just like this backlog of professional sports buses (laughs) that had to be go through customs. So they, they didn't get into Cleveland until super late. Didn't take BP that day. Friday was like the worst kind of rain out day where they didn't call it throughout the day and you kind of had a day where you're preparing to play the entire day and then they finally bang the game at like you know 4 p.m eastern or something like that it was a late one right so i don't think they were at the ballpark yet but you still spent your entire day thinking there was going to be a game doubleheader saturday no bp there you got guys like matt chapman and boba playing like 18 innings and then no bp on sunday either yeah so no batting practice obviously like the the blue jays are going to look to pull any lever they can just to lessen the workload and the volume on guys let george springer get a full day off on the thursday right the first day of the of the cleveland series he pinch hit late but yeah didn't didn't appear before then so and you're seeing DH days being thrown around as well and things like that. So, yeah, I do think that, like, the volume is going to naturally catch up to you. You play as much as the Blue Jays have. But you look at this schedule the Yankees are looking at right now because they, like, all teams in the Northeast had a hellacious time over the weekend. And the Yankees did as well. They had oh, a bunch yeah. of games rescheduled against the Rangers. They ended up having to sacrifice an off day to play part of that series. The Yankees have a crazy volume of games coming up soon as well which is going to test them in the same way the Blue Jays were tested earlier this year. Yeah, that's right. Every Everyone gets it. Everyone gets it in the course of a long season. And the reason for anyone wondering who's kind of listening and being like, what? Bust a Buffalo? The reason the teams do this is because if you are crossing the border on land, you do not have to show COVID-19 test results. So that's how a lot of teams are proceeding. And what it means is more travel because instead of busing to Pearson, which is, I don't know, 40 minutes depending on your traffic, they're busing all the way to Buffalo and flying out of there. So that's probably an hour 40. I mean, you just made that drive on your way to Cleveland, Arden. Is that a fair guess? Like it would add a significant amount, at least an hour it would add. Yeah, it depends what kind of traffic you get. But then like there's also processing time at the border, right? Like you got a bus full of professional athletes, got to get everybody's passport. They got to put the dogs through all the bags and everything. Like it's not just like 
through you go. Like it's there's there's processing time at the border, and then you got to go to the Buffalo airport, and then you got to go to get onto your charter. Like it does yep. add a lot of time to the travel experience. But obviously, the club has said, yeah, that is preferable to having to test every time that we leave Toronto and having the possibility of some asymptomatic positives and then contact tracing off of that that would make a whole bunch of our players unavailable to play. And so the Jays are not the only team doing this. They are not the only sport doing this. That is what's happening. But it's uh, on an ethical level. I mean, there maybe is a different uh, question there. On a logistics level, you know, you hear from people and it's like, it adds to the grind. That is already a grind when it comes to travel. Yes, absolutely. The baseball season is nothing if not a grind. And we're not even 20% of the way through, you know, what the Blue Jays have really? done to this point. Feels we're like not more. Even, <laughs> they played 20 games. So we're not even 20% oh, yeah. of the way no, through. No, they played 30 games. Or they played 30 games. Excuse me. Still yeah. not 20% of the way through. 30 wow. times five would be 160 games. They play 162. Right. Wow. It's a technicality. You could call it 20%, but we're not quite there. Uh, we're going to get there tonight here on Tuesday, May the 10th. But I, the, 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 my point is, what they've done to this point, they're going to do four more times. I mean, we could sit here and we could tear a strip off the offense, and we could say that sure. Kevin Gosman's the best pitcher on the planet, and we can say that this bullpen's bulletproof, and we can make all these grand sweeping generalizations, but none of it's really worth anything, man, because we're you know a fifth of the way through this season so the conversations that we're having after the second fifth are going to be different and after the third fifth are going to be different and after the fourth fifth are going to be different all that matters is the conversation you have after the fifth fifth and that is <laughs> are you in the postseason or not did it all work out in the aggregate or not we could say some things have happened to this point and some things have certainly happened I don't know that I can take anything off of this first fifth of Blue Jays baseball and say that is predictive of what's going to happen yep. over the final 80% of the season. Really, it's the sixth fifth. That's the one you care about. <laughs> That's right. The sixth <laughs> fifth. That's going to be the name of some, like the next baseball book. The sixth fifth. That's right. That's right. You heard it here first, folks. All right. Uh, he's Ben Nixon Smith. I'm Arden Swelling. Our producers are Christian Ryan and Nick Andrade. Thank you, as always, for listening. Talk to you next time on At The Letters. Mm-hmm.